man, it's good to be back. I am so glad to be back. Um, and uh, I want to say first and foremost, thank you guys. The blessing of a sabbatical I never knew until I was actually on a sabbatical. And um, thank you for our leaders, for our church family who blessed us in going, uh, for the kind notes of encouragement that I got. If I didn't respond to you, uh, it's not because I don't like you. Uh, well, it might be, but uh, it, no, I'm kidding. Uh, but uh, just thank you uh, for our staff and leadership who made this happen. I'm so grateful for that and so thankful for our church and thankful to be here. Uh, I would love to tell you that when you go on a sabbatical, it's kind of like you go up on the mountain like Moses did. You come back with something that God said. And I'm just going to be real honest with you. It wasn't anything like that for me. I had no idea how tired I was after 10, 20 years of ministry. Uh, I had no idea. Uh, and I didn't have any idea how bad my family needed a sabbatical. They loved it more than I did because it was cool to be able to go to church and sit with my wife and kids. And uh, something um, I don't think about a lot. Most church people don't. Hardest job in the ministry is pastor's wives. And so my wife has enjoyed it. She's missed you guys as well. Uh, and my kids have loved it as well. And so it's just been great to be a dad. Uh, it's been great to uh, not have any distractions and be that dad. Uh, if you know me, uh, you know I can't sit still. So the first week I was constantly looking at my phone and I actually snuck on social, me- snuck on social media to see if anything was going on with River Hills. Anybody needed anything? And uh, texting people, how's it going, how's it going? And our staff, uh, for the most part, you know, and people, leaders, I contacted, they didn't say anything. So that was good. I appreciated that. The second week, it got a little better, but I was still a little anxious, still waiting for the phone to ring. The third week, man, I, I didn't know what day it was. I felt retired. And even started looking at my, you know, my retirement fund to say, now, can I do this? And the bad news for you is I can't. Uh, so uh, she still got me for another 30 years. Um, at least, and uh, uh, and in the fourth week, you know, rest has kicked in. I, I honestly, I'll be really honest with you. I took a nap every day, I, and I'm not ashamed of that at all, because uh, I know some of y'all do that at work. And and so it was great. Uh, and uh, by the fifth week, though, I felt like, man, I'm ready to get back to it, and excited to be back. And by last week, uh, man, I was rolling and ready to roll. And it was really hard to keep me away from my computer and phone and. And, and, and things like that. So I'm just thankful to be back. Uh, I, I was able to meet with a leadership coach uh, during that time, and he really poured into me, told me where I was doing good, what I wasn't doing good, so I'm hopefully going to be a better leader for this. I was able to just, <laughs> thanks, <laughs> uh, and uh, also been able to spend a lot of time resting and recharging and, and, and just just being where I needed to be. I get restless, and I have to do things. I can't sit still, like I said, so I did a lot of projects, I decided it would be cool to build a fence and get goats. I don't know why, but I have goats now. Uh, I have four, uh, Danny, Tina, Gladys, and Finley, and uh, my kids named them. Uh, and uh, we have chickens. We don't name our chickens because they get eaten, and it would just be cruel to give something that's going to get eaten a name. We don't eat them, okay? I just want to be honest about that. Uh, and, and so, you know, just a lot of different things happening. I started writing a book, and I would love to come to you and say, hey, I finished my book, but I got halfway through chapter one. So in 20 years, when I take my next sabbatical, I'll be able to finish. Um, but <laughs> it, at least just a chapter, that's right. You can color in the lines. It's really good. Um, and, and so, you know, it's just good to be back. And I'm excited about what the Lord has for us at River Hills. Uh, I feel like God has drawn some good boundaries for us as a church, boundaries for me as a pastor, and, and some neat directions that I hope to be leading out in the next several weeks 
that we were preparing for before I went on sabbatical. And so very thankful for that. Very thankful for what the Lord is doing. Uh, Sarah Beth is not here this morning. Uh, I would love to say she loved her sabbatical so much that she's not coming back, but that's not the case. She misses you guys. But um, Sarah Beth, and this is where we would covet your prayers as a family, is actually at the Mayo Clinic with her sister right now who is in Jacksonville, Florida, and she's on her way there now with her, uh, our sis, her, sister-in-law, her sister, my sister-in-law, had cancer several years ago and has come back, and so she's with her sister there, and we would covet your prayers. Uh, she will be with her sister until Wednesday and then be back next week, but uh, if you would be praying for us, be praying for Brooke, that's my sister-in-law, and her two young ch- girls and her husband, and pray for Sarah Beth for Traveling Mercies, and, and she is really the rock of her family and uh, be praying for her in that, and she really has to be that rock and that leader um, and, and encouragement for her sister and the rest of her family. Uh, I'm sure she'd appreciate if you have her phone number, text to say, I'm praying for you and praying for your family. Uh, if you have her phone number, if you are on social media and connected with her, you can hit her up there, but don't be offended if she doesn't respond because she literally does never, never she checks it about every four months. And so uh, you can hit her up there. Instagram's probably the best place to do that. But um, you, can, you can do that as well. But we would covet your prayers. Uh, believe me, she'd rather be here right now with her church family. But uh, we would really, really be thankful for that. Now, what we're doing this morning, and I'm so excited about this, John chapter 9. So turn there. Uh, it's the fourth book in the New Testament. We're going to be in that gospel, chapter 9. We're going to only deal with six verses this morning. We're starting a new teaching series. It's really We're going to really flesh out over the next three or four weeks until school starts called Driven. We're all driven about some things. Would you all agree on that? Now, some of you are driven about NASCAR. and You can't miss it, right? You're going to be there. Some of you are driven about college football or professional football, and you're there. And you're there on the, you got your TV, and the reason your TV is as big as it is is simply because of that sporting event you like to watch. Some of you are driven about McDonald's, bless your heart. Some of you are driven about your family. Some of you are driven about Little League Baseball. Some of you are driven about fitness and It's been awesome to see a lot of people in our church who have a before and after photo about how much weight they lost, and that's driven. Some of you are driven financially, and you want to grow in that area of your life. Not of you in this room who are are adults have gone back to school uh, later on in adulthood, and you're driven about getting those degrees and finishing that things up. There's a lot of things that we're all driven about, but here's the question we want to deal with this morning. How many of us are driven spiritually? How many of us put the effort in growing spiritually like we have in other aspects of our life. Now, that's a question we ask a lot in church, but what we want to concentrate on for the next several weeks is that what does it mean to lead a gospel-driven life? Now, first of all, let's define that for a minute because when we hear the word gospel, we literally understand it as being the good news. It's the message of Christ. It's what he spread there in the New Testament and hinted to and prophesied about in the Old Testament. And basically, the gospel is this. We are separated from God because we do bad things. We can all say that we're sinners. Would you all agree on that? Everybody say yes. If you don't say yes, you're lying, and therefore you're a sinner. So here's the deal. Nobody is what? Perfect. And so because we lack perfection, that means we can't be godly. We can't have a relationship with God. So God in his benevolence looked upon his creation and said, we need to have a solution to that sin problem. So he sends Jesus, his son who died on the cross. Now, Christ lived the perfect life because we couldn't. He died on the cross to take the punishment we deserved because we were supposed to. And then he rose from the dead to conquer sin and death so that we can live forever. 
That's where the gospel begins. That's the good news is that you don't have to measure up. Jesus did it for you. You don't have to be punished. Jesus did it for you. Isn't that good? And you have to start there. But what we sometimes miss is that gospel also talks about or hints to or points to specifically biblically to the way you're to live your life. There's a gospel process for you in everything that you do. It's not just the fire insurance for eternal security. The gospel and the gospel-driven life is how do we apply the Bible, how do we apply Jesus, how do we apply the good news to every aspect, to our marriage, to our parenting, to our finances, to our employment, to our relationships, to our difficult circumstances, and even to our own personal sin. How do we do that? And so over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about, we're going to flesh this out about how the gospel is a healing power in every part of our life. I'm not talking about physical healing, even though that is appropriate at times. I'm talking about uh, mental and emotional and how God reconciles and reestablishes our lives. And we're going to talk about spiritual growth in, as far as it pertains to knowledge. Many people think that knowledge is the only way to growth. That's not true, but it is important. And so we're going to deal with that. And then we talk about multiplication, about how a gospel-driven life multiplies itself. And so this morning we used John chapter 9, verses 1 through 6 as an introduction to all of that. Because as we think through what it means to live a gospel-driven life and how we do that, the big idea or the answer to that is simply this. It's all about perspective. That's what we have to understand. Perspective in how we live our life for Christ, with Christ, in Christ, and be gospel-driven is all about your perspective, about my perspective. Do you guys remember in the 90s, maybe in the early 2000s, uh, those pictures it was called I think it was called an audio stereograph or something and what they did it was a bunch of dots on a piece of paper or a poster and it was a 3D image and you had to cross your eyes and stand on your head and look at it and if you looked at it long enough all of a sudden that image would appear you know what I'm talking about right typically it was blue and I mean I remember staring at those things going I don't see it I don't see it my friends would come by and it's like dude that's an eagle oh Nope, I don't say, I mean, you get, I mean, everybody, every college dorm room had one, every home had one in that day, and it was just like, you can look, you can still go online and get them if you want to. It wasn't that the picture wasn't there, it's that you had to change your perspective. And it's not that the gospel isn't a priority or is it something that drives you in your day-to-day life, it's about your perspective and how it drives you. For many of us, apathy grips us, let's be honest about that, Right? Spiritual apathy is something that we all deal with. For many of us, it's depression. For others, it's anxiety. For many of us, it's an actual disease or it's things that we're struggling with. But the problem is for us, as we seek to be Christ's followers, when we're not gospel-driven, we're not taking advantage, now hear me on this, of everything that Jesus offers. We're not applying Everything that God gives us. If we feel like our faith is a to-do and to-don't list, we're missing it. If we feel like it's a crutch, and it is, we're missing it. So much more than just that. So let's go to John chapter 9. Notice what happens here. A few verses. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. Let's stop here. We've got to understand the totality of the context before we enter into this passage of Scripture. He means Jesus. He's in Jerusalem. He's walking through the streets. And he comes across a blind man. Now, it just wasn't a man who had a disability that was blind. He was blind from birth. And there's some significant things that we need to understand about a person who dealt with a disability in that day and age. If you were born with a disability, people assumed, 
the reason you had that disability is because you sinned in your mother's womb or your parents sinned. Now, I don't, I don't remember when I was in the womb, and I'm sure you don't either. If you do, write a book. Here's the thing. They believed that somehow that unborn child sinned. They even went to the point where if a pregnant woman went to a pagan worship service, that child was worshiping with her, worshiping a pagan itself. And so this has deep, deep roots. This is what Jewish culture believes. And so the disciples come to Jesus, and notice verse 2 here, and they look at him and they say, uh, Rabbi, who sinned? His, this man or his parents that he was born blind? This is a pertinent question in some ways because to think that we sin and our actual sin causes us to have infliction is somewhat true. Now let me help you understand what I mean by that. Sin infects the whole world. You get that? The reason bad things happen, earthquakes, hurricanes, cancer, anxiety, depression, hair loss, whatever it may be, crazy pets, I don't know, is because of sin. If sin didn't exist, if Adam and Eve had never eaten the fruit, we'd have no problems. You get that? But for us to say, for the reason I'm suffering, the reason I have cancer, the reason my marriage is the reason my marriage is difficult, or the reason I struggle with anxiety, or the reason I deal with depression, or the reason I'm blind or disabled, is because I have specifically sinned. Now, in some cases, things happen because we do bad things. Would y'all agree on that? We have problems in our relationships because we sin. However, sometimes you're blind because you're blind. You follow that? Now, we're going to get to the why in just a few minutes. But we have to come to this conclusion and understand something here. And I want you to go back to that verse. Notice what the disciples do. They look to Jesus and they say, to, they say Jesus, who sinned? It had to be his parents or it had to be him in the womb. It's one or the other. And that, in our spiritual immaturity, is how we approach life many times. Think through this for a moment. Most of us look through the filter of our spiritual growth through a couple of issues. I'm going to see life and everything is based upon who I vote for. I'm going to be Republican or Democrat. I'm going to be a person that posts things on Facebook every day about Bible verses, and if you don't, you're a sinner, or I'm going to be a person who stands against or for the gay agenda, or I'm going to be the person who's for or against abortion, or I'm going to be a person that feeds the poor, or I'm going to be the person that only focuses on international. And if you don't do those things, you're wrong. You follow me on that? We look at life and say it's either this good thing or this good thing, and that is not how God created the universe. Many times we get stuck and don't grow spiritually because our immaturity only says this or this. Now, I want to stop here. All those are good things. To stand for what the Bible says, to stand against abortion, to stand against but love our homosexual uh, neighbors is important. To understand those things is, is valuable, it's important, but it's not the only thing. And so we have to understand the perspective that God is calling us into a gospel-driven life. Maybe this will help us understand. Now, my first Sunday back, I love whiteboards, so obviously I'm going to bring one. All right? So I want you to notice a couple of things here. And I totally stole part of this from another pastor. I will give him credit but not tell you his name. So here's the deal. Our spiritual growth in many ways can come be summed up like this, okay? These are called axes, right? 
All right, here's 10. And this is a scale of 1 to 10. This is your spiritual growth. You follow me? These are the years that you live after you become a Christian. Does that make sense? So you become a Christian at this point, you go upward, and you go onward. Let me ask you a question. How many of us in this room feel like that we turn one every year? Think through that for a moment. On a spiritual scale, how many of us feel like that we're at the same place every year? Y'all been there? Now, if you're saying you're a 10, I just want to correct you because this is Jesus. And you ain't him. All right? Now, if you're like Pastor Ron, our Latino pastor over here, you're like a 9. All right? Now, for me... I get a seven, I'm having a good day, but sometimes I go back down to a four because I went to Walmart or something like that. I don't know. But y'all with me, you know what I'm talking about, right? But here's the deal. We progress in our age, but we don't progress in our maturity. And so what happens is, you had a moment, maybe you grew up in an evangelical church and it was like, okay, I came to Christ as a youth cramp and uh, it was incredible and I... I accepted Jesus, I felt all this emotion, I felt all this power, and I felt all this experience, but the emotion wore off, and I never got above a one. And so I'm just attending church now. Maybe for you, you grew up in a, in a fundamentalist church, and you felt like, hey, I, I went to this fundamentalist church, and I, I didn't show my ankles ever, and so therefore, uh, you'll get that joke later, and I, you'll, therefore, I, 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 I've done some good things, I've done some bad things, but I never got past the legality of it all. Or maybe you grew up in a, in a Catholic context and, and, and it was really important for you to do all the sacraments and, and you didn't get them all done or maybe you backed off a little bit or maybe you didn't honor the priest like you should have and so you stayed right here at this one. Hear me on this. This is so important for you to get. Many of us don't go past this glass ceiling of spirituality but yet we attend church our entire lives. Y'all ever felt that way? Now just be honest with each other. Many of us aren't progressing, and let's be honest, have never progressed in our spiritual growth. And here you are, a 20-year-old Christian who happens to be a 40-year-old human, and you're still acting like a one-year-old Christian. Get that? That hurt yet. We're up and down. We're, going, we're, not, we're not moving forward in our relationship with God. In this glass ceiling, you need to write this down, the reason, if you know Jesus, the reason you keep bouncing back down, hear me, write this down. Your emotional immaturity is keeping you from experiencing spiritual immaturity. Get that? There's an emotional aspect to your life. There is a place where God needs to intervene in your life and put some healing gospel there. Some issues that you have, some things that you back down, some questions you have, some abuse in your past, some cynicism that you're dealing with, some anger that you have, that it keeps bouncing back. You follow me on this? And many times, whether it's complacency, whether it's repentance, whether it's abuse, whether it's anger, whatever it may be, is that you get to this place. Let's go back to that verse in verse 2. Notice what happens here. You become like the disciple, and the only thing you can see is Jesus who sinned, this guy or these guys? You see, when you're spiritually immature, 
The only thing you can see, when you're not gospel-driven, the only thing you can look at is the problem in front of you. That's it. Y'all been there, right? The only thing you can come to is be like the disciples. Jesus, it has to be this or this. It has to. God wants me happy, so I've got to make a choice that's maybe outside of God's will. God, God, why? Y'all have done this before. Lord, I must have sinned somewhere because I'm not growing or this affliction. Have y'all, y'all have done that. I have done that, haven't you? God, you've given me too much. God, you're putting too much on me. God, I don't feel this. God, I was born this way. What did I do? You been there? Maybe that's not the answer. Maybe we have to move past this. Because the gospel-driven life for what he has for you is way beyond what you're currently experiencing if you're not progressing. So much more. I want you to get what Jesus says here. Let's go back to chapter 9. Go back to verse 2. We'll catch it again. Get this. His disciples ask him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? But I want you to see Jesus' response to this. Neither. I love that. That that contradicts everything the Jewish culture believes. That contradicts everything you and I believe because we're looking for some reason things the way they are. And here's what Christ does, and this is the gospel-driven life, and this is the first point you need to write down and begin to apply. The gospel-driven life looks beyond the problem. Now, to get that, this is important for us. The problem is we keep bouncing here, but Jesus wants you here. You've got to look beyond this to say Jesus is healing. Jesus is reconciling. Jesus is forgiving. Jesus is redeeming. You follow that? There's more. But you have to be willing to submit and allow him to do more. The gospel-driven life looks beyond the problem. And while the problem is very real, And while the problem for many of us is very obvious, I'm not taking away pain, and I'm not taking away causes, okay? What I am saying, when we're living under Christ and His commandments, we learn to look beyond it and see that there is a greater thing happening. There is a greater purpose happening there. You follow that? We're going to see it in just a second. Now, I bought goats. I told you that, right? And uh, I, I did a, a video and put it on Facebook this past week and had my goats out there and you got to meet several of them. And I'm, sorry, I'm sure some of you watched that and absolute lunacy, I know. But uh, this is something my wife and I have talked about for years. And, and so uh, we have a little pasture behind our house and, and I decided we need to get some goats. And I did the research on the goats. Goats like to eat briars. Goats like to eat everything that everything else doesn't like to eat. Make sense? And I was like, well, this is a perfect environment because I don't have any pasture land. I don't have much grass. But I got all these briars. I got all this stuff. I got all this thing nobody wants to walk through. So we fenced it in and I uh, got an electric fence, man. And it's got like 7,000 volts going through this thing. And uh, it hurts. Well, at least the kids, when I told them to go touch it, said it hurt. And I, I didn't make the kids do it. I threw the dog in it. Um, and so I didn't do that either. Uh, but uh, so... 
we got these goats, and we put them inside the electric fence, and man, it's popping. It's, I mean, and the thing, Danny, the, the goat that I have, if your name's Danny, feel honored. Here's the thing, Danny just walks through it like it's nobody's business. And you know it hurt because it went pop, pop, pop. Now, the two female goats that were there at the time were much smarter as the female race is. You're welcome. <laughs> Stayed in the fence. <laughs> Danny just walks through it. Now, here's the thing. We have this fence. Inside of this fence, there's all this nutrition. There's all these things to eat. Outside of the fence, it's actually nothing for them to eat. Things that they don't eat. But inside, it's everything they love, everything they can have, all the abundance, everything. Outside of the fence, there's coyotes. There's danger. Inside of the fence, there's safety. How many of us walk through a little spiritual electric fence only to find ourselves spiritually starving and in danger all the time? All of us. That's why this is so important. You see, many of us, all we focus on is the problem. And in focusing on the problem, and that's it, we walk past God's boundary. And inside God's boundary is abundance, is fullness, it's joy, it's contentment, it's eternity. You get that? The gospel-driven life looks beyond the problem. But here's the best part. When we have that problem, whether it be blindness or depression, here's the deal. The gospel-driven life sees a greater purpose than what's happening than what really what we think. Get this next. It's, to me, some great ver- verses in Scripture. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. There's no sin here. We can't look at life as just 0 to 80 and you're done. And everything counts there and that's it. And that's your summation of eternity and how happy you're going to be. No, it gets so much better after that. It gets so much better. There's so The green grass is on the other side spiritually of life. But in this 80, don't let it define you. Don't let the problem, don't let the disability, don't let the issue define you. Because there's so much more. This man was blind not because of sin, but so that the, 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 the God's power could be seen in him. Look, let's just look at it again. But this happened so that the works of God may be displayed in him. Here, I want to, I let's, do, let's do something here. I want you to just read this with me, okay? We're going to start with the, so that the works of God. You see that? But this happened, let's read it, so that the works of God may be displayed in him. Now, some of you didn't participate. I want you to get this. Let's do it again. This happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Here's the thing. You're dealing with what you're dealing with, not because you're a bad person or a sinner. You're dealing with what you're dealing with so that the works of God might be displayed in you. And therefore, you may not be able to get over your disability. You might not be able to get over your problem. You might be able to move through or push through all this stuff. But you can look at a creator and say, I am redeemed. I am forgiven. I am, have a place. I am going to experience Christ for eternity. And I can find joy in the midst of my affliction. You follow that? The gospel-driven life looks beyond the problem and sees the purpose. And many of us are grasping for these straws and coming up with these arguments, but it's so much more. There's so much more. 
There's so much more healing. There's so much more growth. And there's so much multiplication out there. That's the gospel-driven life. But here's the thing. And I thank God for my wife. I share with her my messages most of the time. So if you think this message stinks, imagine how bad it would have been if Sarah Beth and I looked at it first. <laughs> her question at the end of this was, but how do I get there? And that's probably your question too, right? I want that. I want to experience that. But how? Now, I'm going to tell you, you need to come back for the next three weeks to get the full picture because we just don't have time this morning. But we're going to start this morning and begin to experience what it means to have a gospel-driven life. You with me on that? So notice what happens next in the text. And I'm going to give you the end of the story. We're only going to go to through verse 5. The end of the story is simply this. Jesus heals the blind man. He can see. Okay? Good ending, right? But get this in verse 4. Jesus says to the disciples, As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, there's a lot there. We could spend probably a month just dissecting those two verses, but I'm going to sum it up for you in about a minute, okay? What he's saying here is this. My works shine the brightness of who God is, and my message is come to the light. And as he is here shining the gospel for us, so that we begin to have access to that for eternity and salvation, and two, for the process of working through this life together. You with me? The gospel is not just meant for your salvation, folks. It's meant for every aspect in every iota of your life. It's not about do's and don'ts. It's about reconciliation and redemption. So to begin that process, I'm going to give you two thoughts here. And then we're going to get out. Number one is simply this. You have to come to Jesus. And what that means, and, and I say that to you, and I say this to you every week, is there are a lot of people that walk through the doors of a church every week that don't know Christ. They've never asked Christ to come into their lives. All right? There's just, it's just a reality. And, some, and, you base your, and we base our... Our, our, our spirituality and our Christianity are based on a tradition or growing up in church or maybe even a moment to where we felt God, but nothing's happened since then. So you need to revisit whether you know Christ or not. And so coming to know Christ is asking Him to come into your life because you're a sinner and He forgives you. And He makes you His own. And if you've never taken that step of faith, I'm going to give you three ways to, to, to take that step. On your Connect card, there's a box that says, I want to know Jesus. There's a, you can text the number on the screen. You can text the word respond, and that begins a conversation with one of our pastors. Or at the very end of our service, I'll be up here to pray with you and help you begin that process. But here's the thing. You've got to know Christ before you can experience the healing, before you can experience the growth, before you can experience the multiplication, before you can be driven. You've got to know Jesus. You've got to. To know in your heart of hearts. But the second thing is simply this. For those of you who are Christians, you have to begin to let Christ change your perspective. That means you have to filter what you believe with what he says. You get that? Because there's many things that we believe that aren't coinciding with what he says. Right? We have to quit saying, Jesus is either this or this. When God says, it's all of it. 
we have to begin to raise the bar on our spiritual maturity. And I'm willing to bet that most of us in this room who struggle here and say, you know what, Chip, I am 15 years old spiritually, but I haven't gone past a two. I want to go further. Any of y'all like that? Any of y'all want to move forward? So here's our first step this morning. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. And we'll begin this process in the next few weeks. We're going to give you some very tangible action steps that you can take and things you can sign up for. But I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer with me. I'm not going to ask you to come up with that prayer, okay? This is not a magic formula. This is not you praying to receive Christ. This is just something because sometimes we can't find the words to pray or to say to begin that process. Y'all ever been there before? So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. This is no magic formula, but when you believe this, asking God to do this in your life, I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. This is simple, okay? And I'm going to begin this prayer in just a second. And in your heart of hearts, if you believe it, and if you want it to happen, begin to pray. I'm not saying there's no, there's no, no floodgates are going to open, okay? This is step one. So just pray this with me. God, I can't see. I feel like the blind man. There are things that I need you to heal. So will you begin to reveal it to me? Will you begin to wash me clean of it? Will you begin to change me? So that I and others might see you work. Amen. Let's begin that process to be so gospel-driven that it changes every aspect. Y'all with me on that? This morning, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, or maybe you need somebody to pray with you, or maybe you need to take a next step in your faith and you're really not sure why, there are two options, three options really. You can text the word RESPOND to the number on the screen. You can fill out your Connect card and we'll collect those as you leave. Or I'm going to be down here on my, on my right to your left. And I'll be happy to pray with you and talk with you as we continue to worship together. But you do as God leads. Let's pray together. Father, help us be gospel driven. Help us to understand what it means to follow you. Help us to grow. Help us to seek. Help us to know. Help us to understand what it means. And Jesus, as we seek you, as we long for you, as we search for that healing and that growth and that knowledge and that multiplication, as we seek God to just move beyond that scale, I pray, God, that you would grow us up. I pray, God, that you would show us what we need to have moved out of our life. And I ask, God, that you would change us. Change me. Strengthen us. Guide us and use these moments to begin the process of moving forward and growing with you. We pray this in the most powerful and awesome name of Jesus. Amen.